Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness. What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Get ready for comedy. Elmo's horny. Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. <laughs> and poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius. More well endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show. On Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now, the one, the only, Adam Say! Bottom. Yes, Queens! Oh, God, that's loud. Hold on. I am too loud. Let me turn myself down. <laughs> I'm just so excited to be here, you guys. My name is Adam Sank. This is The Adam Sank Show. Today is Sunday, July 1st, 2018. We are back live. If you're listening at adamsank.com slash podcast, then you are listening live at 3 o'clock Eastern Time on Sunday. You can call us at 844-825-5367. Our question today how do you feel about the drag race finale? It was very controversial. Did the best queen win? Let us know. Once again, that's 844-825-5367. All episodes of The Adam Sank Show now live on iTunes and other audio devices. Please leave me your ratings and reviews. And I just need to say something. I have an announcement. We recently surpassed 17,000 unique downloads of The Adam Sank Show. Thank you, JB, for that applause. And that's only since November when we started uploading them. So if 17,000 times this show has been downloaded, then I should have more than 70 reviews on iTunes. All of you people who listen to the... Thank you, Derek. All of you people who listen to the show, fucking help me out. The show gets discovered by other people when you leave reviews and five-star ratings. So please, I beg you. Uh, Meanwhile, email me at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page. We have a fabulous show today. Coming up is... Literally one of my favorite people in the world. She is a comedian. She is a speaker. She is. She does it all. She's a dynamo. She's an entrepreneur. She's a mother. She has huge breasts. Her name is Kareth Foster. I once lived with her, and we'll be talking about that later. So she'll be uh, with us at the bottom of the hour. But first, I need to inter- introduce our guest co-host. Fans of The Adam Sank Show will know him because he was one of our favorite guests, but he has never yet co-hosted until now. He is a go-go boy turned burlesque star, turned porn star, turned burlesque star again, turned uh, stage star. He's done it all, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris Harder. Give it up for him. Harder. Thank you. Harder. Harder. Louder. Wider. I am so happy to see you today. I'm so happy to be here. And that's how I feel seeing you. Oh, yeah. That was me ejaculating in my seat. (laughs) I think I got in my eye. So you, listeners have to know that I was freaking Chris and everybody else out the last couple of days because I was like, you guys, it's going to be 99 degrees in New York City on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hot across the country, so you people can feel my pain. This motherfucking studio is not air conditioned on the weekends, and I really didn't know whether we could do the show. Yeah. Yeah. But tell the listeners what happened when you got here, Chris. When I got here, I was greeted by the crisp, cool air of uh, of central air conditioning. Central air conditioning. Yeah, it's here in the it's studio. It's happening. 
our and it's here's the irony. It's our last time ever in this studio. <laughs> they decided for our last show. Shade. Would, yes, that's fucking shade. They were like, and it's the last day of Gay Pride Month, so maybe they were like, let's throw that homo a bone. Yeah. Here's some air. And I'm always happy to take a bone. Chris, remind the uh, listeners what you are up to these days, because you're traveling, you're touring, you're performing. That's what are you great doing? Question, I don't know. Sometimes I just look at my dream journal, and I think, really, where am I going? Lie but down on that sofa and tell, <laughs> tell me what's happening with you. I am, I've been touring uh, my solo show, Porn to be a Star, uh, and I just did that in Provincetown, and I'm taking it to New Orleans uh, the weekend of Southern Decadence. Um, yeah. So I will be there in a couple of months. And in between that, I'm going to go, I'm actually going to go on a real vacation with my boyfriend and my family where I don't take off clothes. What? For money. And, uh, and I think, um, yeah, I'm not even going to try and look at my phone for a whole day. I'm just going to set Good it for aside. you. Yeah. So I mean, you won't even take your clothes off in the shower? Is that? No, I think it's, it's, it's like some people do a cleanse, <laughs> like with juices. I'm just going to wear clothes you do a for a week. Yeah, I'm I doing clothe. a clothes. Uh, Chris, how how do people find you and uh, find out about your upcoming shows? Um, well, I you can uh, you can Google harder burlesque uh, on Twitter or on Instagram or Chris Harder on Facebook. And okay, I'm, I'm a shameless self. And you have a website, and I have a website harderburlesque.com. So you don't have to Google it. You, you can actually just it. type that in. Yeah. That's how that works. Yeah. Now, to remind the listeners of some of your earlier work, here's one of Chris's early films. Let's oh, yeah. take a listen. Let's, let's now, in this scene, Chris, I just watched this, and in this scene, you are, you're, you're running on pavement in flip-flops yeah, with another young man. There's no arch support that day. It, was, it, uh, it sounds exhausting. It you was. sound like you're out of breath. Mm-hmm. And was it a race between the two of you in the flip-flops? He was he was super fast. I did my best to keep up, but um, I think he ended up just dragging me for the rest of uh, the rest of that long mile. Uh, some of your best work. Well, I want to. I, I alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to tell the listeners that we have big changes happening to the ass. Oh yeah. And by the way, my ass yes, is completely healed. Tell I don't know if you know this, ass. Chris. I had anal surgery several weeks no. ago. No. And uh, yes, I had anal warts and a hemorrhoid. Oh wow! Which, if you're you not turned a, on now, a brave soul, Adam saying to admit this and on I, the air. And I and I love you for it. You know what? Because anal warts and and hemorrhoids are a, a fact for many. Especially for bottoms. Yes. Yeah, especially for bottoms. How are you feeling? Well, so I'm all healed. There's no pain. Uh-huh. My asshole looks completely normal again, Is although not quite as pink as it span? once was. It's a little darker <laughs> than it was, and I'm not happy about that. But my doctor did a follow-up exam. He said everything looks good. But uh, you have to start exercising your hole. You were like done. Using <laughs> butt plugs. Wow. Which I don't own. I don't really? own any kind of sex toys. I'm not into Wait, that. Wait, so do you tell you Kegel exercises? You got to squeeze the booty hole? It, there's no squeezing, leave. but he, he sent me a link to these this little butt plug starter kit on Amazon. It only costs like $12. On and, Amazon? Yes. And it, com- it comes with three <laughs> plugs, and I have to work my way up to the largest to the of the one. three. Like every day I have to like insert it and kind of like pull it in and out and this will build up the wall, like rebuild the walls essentially of my hole so that I'm ready to take dick again. And he said, and this is so interesting to me, if I were like a real power bottom, someone who got fucked every day, Uh I wouldn't need to do this. But because I'm kind of an occasional bottom, that's where you can really do damage to yourself if you're not ready. I mean, I am a bottom, but I'm not a power bottom. Uh-huh. And I, just, I just don't have sex that often, period. Right. 
I always wonder who has time for it, you know? Like, yeah. Like, not me. I don't know. It's well, like, but, but some people get fucked every single day of their lives. I and know. Th- for those people, bottoming is very easy. Yeah. And they're always clean. And they, he, he was telling me, like, they have control over their hole in a way that people like me do not. So anyway, the three butt plugs showed up. And the first one is laughably small. Uh-huh. It is like a finger. So I put that whole thing in like, one fell swoop. It Next. was it. My butt just. It was. It, I was nothing. Was so gra- I'm already ready. F- What's that? Was there a graduating ceremony? Yes, I I, I. I had a cap and gown on, <laughs> and we played that song. What's that song? Anyway, um, so now I'm ready for number two. And frankly, I think I'm ready for dick, but I'm going to follow the doctor's orders. Anyway, none of this is what I meant to say. What I meant to say is that the show, this show, yes. the Adam Sank show. Not only are we moving studios along with Derek and Romaine and all of the other DNR shows, but we're moving days. This show is not going to premiere on Sundays anymore, you guys. <gasps> when is it premiering? On Saturdays. Whoa. And it's not going to be 3 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be 11 a.m. Eastern. Game changer. Yeah. So for the five people who listen live, <laughs> including Charles from Cornhole, no longer will you listen on Sundays at 3. You'll listen on Saturdays at 11. That starts two weeks from now on Saturday, July 14th. Exciting. Congratulations. However, I should say, next Sunday, you'll still hear a new episode, which we will record today. It's confusing. Basically, (laughs) basically starting Saturday, July 14th, listen on Saturdays at 11 a.m. All right. Chris, we have a lot to talk about. Okay, let's jump into it. Um, I want to start with this, and it's a crazy story. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. This guy named Patrick William Kelly. He's an academic at Northwestern mm-hmm. getting his doctorate degree. He refers to himself as an AIDS historian. Oh, great. He wrote an <laughs> op-ed in the New York Times this past week called uh, The End of Safe Gay Sex? Question mark. And in it, he basically talked about PrEP and how every gay man is on PrEP now, and as a result, most of us have stopped using condoms, and he sees a problem with that uh, because... <clears throat> There can be a rise in ST, other STDs, and yeah. there might actually be a microbe that comes along, something new and undiscovered, like AIDS was, like HIV was right, back right. in the day. That'll wipe us out again. Um, he says, liberated from the stigma of AIDS, gay men, many people think, are now free to revert to their carnivorous sexual selves. In this rendering, the condom is kryptonite, a relic that saps the virile homosexual of his primordial sexual power. He went on to say, one answer is to recall the gay culture of the 1970s that gave rise to the AIDS crisis in the first place. The myth of a world of sex without harm is not new. The 1970s were a time of unprecedented sexual freedom for gay men, during which diseases were traded rampantly, fueled by a libertine culture that saw penicillin as the panacea for all of its ills. He's a big fan of alliteration. It's good alliteration. He's whipping it around. Now, I was all set to talk about this story because I think he makes some good points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His language is a little problematic because it's a little bit sex shaming, a little bit, you know, internalized homophobia. He is gay. We should say this. Right. And he's also on prep, which he's also admitted to afterwards. Sorry, did I yes. steal that? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll shut up. So it's okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You didn't do anything wrong. More information. So. Could be. Now. Immediately, there was some backlash against the article. And I have to say, whenever anyone writes an op-ed piece for the New York Times, there's, there's gonna be, always going to be backlash. Yeah, Someone's going to be offended. Someone's going to be angry. Someone's going to think you, you're completely wrong. That comes with the territory. He got criticism from a number of HIV activists, 
other academics in the world of AIDS research. Mm -hmm. Some people questioned the statistics he was using. Some people questioned his language. People of color uh, were, took issue with one line where he says, AIDS is no longer a crisis, at least in the United States. Right. If you're a you know, middle class, if you're a white, white guy. gay guy who can afford PrEP or who has access to it, sure. That's right. So people start criticizing him. One of them was Rich Jezviak of Jezebel. Another was Peter uh, Staley, mm -hmm. who's a, a legendary HIV-AIDS activist. He was featured in the movie um, How to Survive a Plague. And when you start getting attacked for an article you've written, you can ignore it. You can put out a statement where you say, like, I want to clarify some things. Mm -hmm. Or you can viciously attack <laughs> every single person on Twitter who's criticizing you. Right. Let's choose viciously attack for 700. Yes. <laughs> so this kid, and I will say kid because it turns out that he's, like, in his early 30s. And I don't mm. know if you can call yourself a historian of any kind if you're, like, under 40. Well, especially if you're still pursuing the degree for which you are... Right. You know what I mean? Like, like I was a psych major, but I'm not a psychologist. Not, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he once he started getting attacked, he said, suddenly I have sympathy for the anti-fascist right. He wrote, I had one critic today that was super hot. I almost kowtowed to getting plowed, but the rest of you are fuglies. Uh, he, several times he talked about how ugly his critics were, and he said, how can anyone want to have raw sex with you? You're also ugly. Um... He later owned up to the fact, as Chris mentioned, that he, too, is on prep and mm. sometimes has sex without condoms. Bullshit. I don't want to hear no fucking sometimes. When you say sometimes I have sex with condoms, that means all the time you have no sex with no condoms. You are just raw dogging it all the way. Fully. No rap. No protection. No nothing. Shady half up. <laughs> About Peter Staley, at first he was said, like, I have great respect for Peter Staley. Uh, but then later... Mm -hmm. When Peter Staley unleashed on him, he wrote, So many of my critics suffer from illiteracy that I should have put prep is good in poppers, scratch, and sniff for Peter Staley. So he handled this really, really badly. He later tweeted, My biggest regret is perhaps not owning that I am on prep and will bear back at times. I didn't want to be the focus of the article, but I understand its faults and how it can be read. Later he said, so you know, fuck you, Peter Staley. Right. For the back slapping and the attention mo mo mongering, and we all know you love it. Well, it's like, if you write an opinion piece, your viewpoint is the center yes. of that argument, correct? Um, where do you, How do you want to start? Because this is, I mean... I feel like this is a this could be its own podcast. I know. know. I mean, it's, I, 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 I feel a little bit of sympathy for the kid. I have to say, if you look at his Twitter feed right now, and it's all of this is still live. He hasn't deleted mm -hmm. anything. Again, it's Patrick William Kelly. His Twitter is at pros four three two one. He's still ranting about this. Like every mm -hmm. two minutes, there's a new tweet. It, I, I tweeted back to him. I said, "Dude, you sound like the Unabomber at this point. Like, yeah. step away from the computer." Well, and also, you know, I feel like anytime you really want to be taken seriously, like, I, you know, social media now, for better or for worse, is a lot of people's main form of communication. But yes. if you have a strong viewpoint, you know, articulate it and then defend it intelligently. Don't be right. a, a dickhead about it. Um, right. Whether or not your critic, the way, how hot your critics are really shouldn't play into your defense of your writing. 
Right, exactly. And switching, you know, your viewpoints on people simply because they also, you know, come to criticize you. Again, it just shows like so much immaturity and, and an unwillingness to, you know, thoughtfully discuss what is a huge multi-layered subject. Yeah. I feel like he had no friend. I feel like he had no friends and or therapist to read that article. Because I feel when I when I have, have someone say I, I need to talk to someone to make sure I'm not sounding kind of like an asshole, kind of like the way he did it. Like if I have a point, to say I, I'm not gonna hide my point in in derogatory terms. I must make my statement the way it should be. Not say people are dirty and nasty. That's that's what I got from this. Yeah, and also I think people are very. Uh, skeptical of the New York Times when it comes to reporting on these issues because the Times uh, was a disaster in the early 80s. Mm. They, their, their reporting on AIDS was non-existent for years uh. until thousands and t- tens of thousands were dead. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Times was very homophobic at the time. It's not now, but you would have thought someone at the time, some editor, and, and believe me, I used to work there. Oh, yeah. Those op-eds go through a lot of different eyes before they wind up on the page. Yeah, yeah. The That's fact that someone, someone didn't say, hey, this seems yeah. like a little bit shaming and a little bit anti-gay and, and, and anti-sex, anti-gay sex, certainly. Mm-hmm. I think the Times is probably horrified at what he's doing right now because yeah. he, he basically represents them in some way because he was a guest columnist and they will never publish him again. I promise oh, you yeah, that. absolutely. Not. I think he fucked up his life. Well, I think he probably fucked up a lot of his credibility for a while, you know, especially if he wants to work in academia and be taken seriously as a as a serious yeah. writer, as a thoughtful writer. And I, he had other people in his own department at Northwestern being like, dude, mm-hmm. sit down. Well, so you, you said that there are some things that you do uh, agree with or, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think what's lost here is the fact that uh, prep is a is a miracle. Yes. And I. I always tell anyone who's sexually active with more than one partner, be on prep. Or if your one partner is a different status than you, mm-hmm. then the negative one should be on prep. I believe in it a hundred percent, but it isn't foolproof, particularly when it comes to other STDs, including anal warts. And so, if you and really, gonjarina and gonjarina, thank you. And so, if you want to be really protect your health as much as possible, then the best choice is condoms and prep. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, especially when it comes to, and I will say, you know, from working in porn, anytime I've done interviews with people, they always want to ask me right away, like, well, what do you think about bareback sex? And will you ever do bareback sex? And I always feel like that is, I mean, again, I can't tell you my full opinion and my full my full viewpoint on it in a 30-second soundbite that you want to put up on your YouTube. You know, like, it's a, it's a delicate subject. There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of sensitivity, you know, to be taken into account for. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it is a complicated subject. And I feel like anytime someone tries to do these broad minded opinions for either stance, you know, that prep is like going to, uh, I don't know. Again, like I even feel cautious talking about it because I don't want to um, misrepresent myself. Well, and, and also I don't, I think it's important again, you know, as gay men, we, so much of our sex life is stigmatized from the moment we come out. And even before then, you know, when we have people calling us fags when we're like eight years old. You right. Know? There's so much shame around sex yeah, for us and, and, and around our own identity. And that's all tied up with, with how we have sex and, 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 uh, and the secrecy and the, and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it is, it's, there's a lot to unpack with it. And I, I think he, 
I think his heart was in the right place. Let me say that, at least from the get-go. Um, I just think he does not have the maturity to be writing about anything for the New York Times. No, we have to move on because okay. we've we have to move to a much lighter topic, and we have someone standing by <laughs> on the could telephone. could be lighter than that. <laughs> Chris Harder, season ten of RuPaul's Drag Race is officially history. Millions of queens around the globe watching uh, watched the finale on Thursday, which had everything from a triple reveal to a butterfly massacre. <laughs> Joining us now on the phone with all the tea is our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent Ryan Frostig. Yeah. Hey, kitty girl. Hey Ryan. Hey boys. Ryan, the air, the studio going? is air conditioned today. Thank God. Hallelujah. Don't you wish you were here? You, I do, because my apartment is not that cool. That's crazy. my air conditioning is not coming through. All right, Ryan. Um, I watched the finale with you. We watched it together, and yes. you seemed very gagged to me. I was. What gagged I was you? Gagged. I think what gagged me the most was that the lip sync for the crown format has really i think sasha valore ruined that format before it even had a chance to be a thing because these queens are now coming in with this expectation of like having to pull out all the stunts all the gags all the reveals and it was i was interested to see how like everyone was gonna sort of bring bring this this home bring this crown home and i think it like worked in some ways and i think that in Asia O'Hara's case, or Madame Butterfly, she proved that she was not so much a lip-sync assassin as she was a butterfly assassin. <laughs> and that was... That was a gag. That was, a, that was more cringeworthy to me than her uh, Beyoncé Snatch Game performance, yes. which was pretty bad. I mean, the whole audience, you could tell, was pretty uncomfortable by a bunch of dead butterflies hitting the ground. Well, and, uh, and coming even, out of her breath. <laughs> well, and even aside from the butterflies, once she ripped those tits open, they stayed ripped open. Like it, it, it looked really disturbing, mm-hmm. and she didn't seem yeah, to have a plan. Terrible for what to do after that. I do want right. to say she I tried think... to recover. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh no, no, I was just gonna say, you know, if it was like a hundred cockroaches that fell to the ground, or any other kind of bug, people would be like, okay, well, that's unfortunate, but you know. Because the butterfly is a delicate, beautiful <laughs> specimen of nature. I mean, I feel like people are just kind of blowing it a little out of proportion. And she apologized, you know, very Yeah, and she's doing community service. But she, does... She, <laughs> she's going to be she's gonna be volunteering queen, in a butterfly preserve. <laughs> she's the first drag queen in RuPaul's Drug history to have to do community service because of a lip sync. That's pretty legendary. Even Tyra Sanchez hasn't done community service. Yeah. So <laughs> what about the actual results, though? How did you feel about... about I know I know you wanted Aquaria from the very beginning, but to me, yeah. the way it went down was shady because I felt like Aquaria clearly lost her first round of lip sync against Eureka. Mm-hmm. You know, well, first of all, I have to say I'm thrilled that Aquaria won. She's the rightful queen. She slayed the competition. I agreed with you at first because I really felt like um, Eureka came with this sort of presence that was like really compelling and you know the reveals were were flawlessly done but when I watched it again I think there's something to say about the fact that like the essence of the song is a dance number and Aquaria paid tribute to Janet she did some of the original choreo from the music video and I just feel like 
there was, I think RuPaul noticed that, and I think that that had something to do with the fact that, um, you know, she's smart. She's a smart queen, and she brought that component to the lip sync. So I agree with the double shante. It was a little bit of a gag, um, but I definitely think in that last lip sync, it definitely went to Aquaria. She, she was the one that I think um, won, really, the lip sync for the crown, like that final was the one with the three of them. Fine, but I have to say, and I was impressed with Aquaria all season as well, even though I don't love her personality, I thought she turned it out every every episode. I, I honestly feel like overall, she was kind of not at her best for the finale. I felt like she she was, none of her outfits or her performances were stunning the way they were for some with. of the earlier shows. I feel like she blew her wad too early. That I would definitely agree with. I, I felt like her crowning look was a little bit, um, pedestrian, little casual, little streetwalker. Look at you with the um, SAT words, Ryan. Oh, I know. See, you so are much smart. You. I know. I know more. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, how much of the um, show do you think is actually pre-planned for the that final, those final lip syncs? And I mean, whether the contestants know it or not, do you think RuPaul's already picked it before it actually airs? Excellent question. So. I, feel like she I, does. I, I really think so. And I also think, like, now more than ever, the winner is uh, crucial to sort of, like, keeping the brand alive. I think that's a big part of the reason that um, Trixie Mattel was sort of, like, set up to win mm -hmm. that season because she brings in a huge audience. She has a huge fan base. And I think RuPaul just, like, looks at Aquaria. She sees the future of drag, like, Truly, and also she sees money. She sees dollar signs. That's the way that she, uh, I think she felt about Vanessa Vanjie Mateo. I think that's why she jumped on that and tried to oh, yeah. push that. Um, but I think that, I honestly, I think going back to being gagged, I really did think that the season was set up for Eureka to win. I mean, oh, that would have been like, I really thought like Aquaria was, was the... This is what happens when people are on mobile phones in 99-degree heat. His air conditioning shorted up. Ryan, yeah. we lost you, but thank you so much uh, for your update. He, he he really does know the show better than any human being alive. If there oh, yeah. was some way to make money off being a RuPaul's Drag Race fan, Ryan would be... There, he should you do a YouTube channel. He really should. Something. He's obsessed he with it. He should do a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> the YouTubes are very popular. Okay, moving on. I want to fly through a bunch of stories okay, real quick sorry. before we get to Kareth Foster. <laughs> Um, first of all, Liza Minnelli is not happy with Renee She's Zellweger playing Judy Garland in an upcoming feature film. Uh, it all started when Radar Online published a now-deleted article falsely claiming that Minnelli and Zellweger were bonding over the movie. That's when Minnelli took to Facebook to shoot down the report, calling it 100% fiction. She said, I've never met or spoken to Renee Zellweger. I don't know how these stories get started. But I did not approve nor sanction the upcoming film about Judy Garland in any way. And reports to the contrary are 100% fiction. I love you. So, How much it's a little bit like think, Carol Channing. Do but. you think that she just like took too many Oxycontin that day? And Renee, you know what I mean? Like as I was reading, I was like, "How much though does she really remember?" Like you think maybe she and Renee basis? are friends, and she just. Forgot. Yeah, or maybe they actually did sit down and have coffee, but someone, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like, it's very possible. I just feel like Liza's, you know, it's Here's the thing about Liza. Memory. Liza is always pissed off whenever someone Tries does to... anything with Judy Garland. Yeah. I looked it up. In, in 2012, when Tracy Bennett starred in that musical play, End of the Rainbow on Broadway, and got like 
every accolade. She won uh-huh. the Tony. People were like, it was a stunning, nuanced performance. Liza hated it. So I get it. I, I'm sure if someone portrayed, I'm sure if my mother died of a drug overdose at 47 and someone played her in a yeah. movie or a TV show or whatever, I wouldn't be happy about it either. But them's the facts. It's so hard too, though, because I mean, how much of, you know, no one is ever really going to know the real Judy Garland more than like probably her family at the time. So it would be tough, but you know. And she's a public figure. When you're a public figure and you're one of the most famous people in the world, you get movies made about you when you die. Yeah, and Liza's still cashing those checks, so you know. Get over it. Okay, uh, also, and this is a a really important story. Uh, I hate to do this quickly, but we're, we're pressed for time. The World Health Organization has declared that gender dysphoria is no longer a mental disorder. Awesome. This is hugely important. Um, Up until now, basically being trans was considered a disorder, Mm -hmm. according to the World Health Organization. And, and, you know, countries across the world look to the WHO for their own guidelines in terms of medicine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is long, long overdue. But, you know, I looked it up because I thought, well... I know that in the early 70s, the American Psychological Association decided that being homosexual was no longer a mental disorder. But it took until like 1990 for the World Health Organization to declare that, which is kind of shocking in a way. Oh, right. Yeah. So they're always behind the times and, you know, they're way, way behind with trans Mm -hmm. people. But this is going to be a long way. This is going to go a long way toward having people view trans people as human beings Mm -hmm. who don't have a disorder. They're not mentally ill. Uh, They simply feel that the gender they were assigned at birth is wrong. And it's going to provide all kinds of access for them to medical care and, um, and so forth. So that's very important. And we applaud the World Health Organization better late than never. Please applaud them. In other words... Uh, in other news, rather, I'm flustering myself, Chris. More young Americans now identify as bisexual. Bisexual or pansexual, or is it bisexual? Pansexual is when you have sex with pans. Pan. Right? <laughs> Peter. And pots. Um. Saute. <laughs> someone's going to be, someone's going to write an angry op out about us, Adam. <laughs> 25% of people, uh, in it, what was this? This is a, a new data from YouGov Omnibus. People were asked to place themselves on the Kinsey scale, where zero is completely heterosexual and six is completely homosexual. What are you, Chris? You know, so I um, let me uh, let me unpack this. I feel like when I came out of the closet when I was 16 in a very conservative state, it was really important for me to identify as a gay man. You know? Yeah. Um, now I'm 32. <gasps> And living in New York City for 10 years. And it's, um, you know, I've had a few experiences with women. I don't think I could ever really see myself being with one long term. But I never want to say that, like, I would never have sex with a woman. Like, what's the point, you know? So I get that people more and more want to feel like they don't have to be these, these gendered, sexualized labels that don't feel right on them. Sure. I agree, but I'm a six. You're a six? I've had sex with a lot of women when I was young, so I can, but in terms of what I'm attracted to, 100% men. Uh, Anyway, one quarter, 25% of people identified as something other than heterosexual, and that's up from only 20% in 2015. That's a big increase. Hmm. Uh, The same series of uh, questions was asked in 2015 and 2018. Um... 
just over two-thirds of Americans, 69%, identified as completely heterosexual. And that's down from 78% in 2015. Um, let's see. Women and men are... This is interesting. Women and men are equally likely to report that they've had a sexual experience with someone of the same sex. It's 18%. Oh, that's interesting. When asked about the possibility of being in a same-sex relationship women were almost twice as likely as men to respond definitely or maybe if I really liked them. But I think that's interesting because, again, as a gay man, you know, you feel like you uh, would never be with a woman. And I feel like I know plenty of straight guys, too, are like, yeah, I never want to be with, be with a dude. You know, maybe let him suck my dick, but I'm not going to, like, buy him dinner. Mm, Chris, you just made me moist. Did I? Oh. All that, all that uh, hole pumping talk earlier. Yes. My, I should have put a towel down <laughs> in the seat. <laughs> um... Yeah, so it's good that uh, that more people are f- being fluid and not labeling themselves quite so stringently. Uh-huh. And I'm in favor of every single man on earth experimenting with bisexuality. I'm here for them. Yeah, JB is JB is here your, for them. You got your. Amazon I I love plan. me some bisexual men. Yeah. I do as a gay man. I do. There you go. I mean. I feel like most bisexual men who have come out to me as bi are like one door away from just you know wearing the gay but well no. but that's that that's a biphobic statement that's chris true. because they they say to broaden if they were going to be gay they would just be gay and truthfully for me if a guy's going to come out as bi then he's certainly willing to come out as gay like sure. it's not like people go oh i'm not going to bash you because you're bi well i feel like though where i'm from you know originally i'm from north dakota you know like i came out as bisexual when i was 15 yeah we all did yeah well that's what i'm saying you know i mean maybe it's i i think things have changed so much obviously but when a 40 year old man says he's bi i'm like okay you're bi that's true that's what you want to be meanwhile in akron ohio two firefighters have been placed on administrative leave after being accused of filming a porn video in the firehouse. A gay porn video. Here's some of the audio from that. Oh, wait, that's... I'm sorry, that's the flip-flop video. That's that race so that, that I that lost. Got yes. <laughs> Officials said the two firefighters were not assigned to the same station and were known to be in a long-term relationship. They allegedly created the video and displayed it online. I just did this story because I think it's the hottest story of the week. So there are two... They're a fireman couple. Two firefighters. I guess maybe one of them, belo- like, was stationed in this station, and uh-huh. the other one was his boyfriend from another station. And they just decided, let's make a video in the firehouse of us fucking each other and put it online. Is it on their my fans only account? My fans only slash probably. Uh, Akron Mayor Dan Horrigan. <laughs> Horrigan. And Fire Chief Clarence Tucker released a joint statement <laughs> calling the whole situation shocking and distressing and saying they were simply devastated by it all. Oh, my God. These allegations bring unwelcome dishonor and embarrassment to the Akron Fire Department and the city of Akron and unfairly discredit the reputation of other Akron fire officers. Oh, please. Right. Get over yourselves. It's hot. Finally, before we uh, talk to our guest, I just want to do a quick, quick gay pride celebration update. This is going to take 10 seconds because there's only three cities in the world celebrating gay pride this week. Ready, Chris? Let's do it. Cologne, Germany. Where they don't wear any cologne, I hear. It's all man funk. Uh, London. Is celebrating Pride, so... Uh, Top of the morning. That's that, Ireland. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Cheerio and tut-tuts. Uh, and finally, Budapest. 
in Hungary. Now I'm gonna try an accent, but that's great. That's do a awesome. do a Hungarian accent. I for feel us, like Chris. I would just my Twitter would become enraged. Not happening. So these three cities are celebrating Gay Pride. Uh, Pride, as you know, does go on for the entire summer and even into October in some places. Yes. So we will continue to update you every week. Uh, I have to keep talking until JB comes back, otherwise the music's not going to stop. <laughs> pride, I think pride is always in our hearts. Pride is in our hearts. And, and our holes. If the listeners at home could see, uh, Chris is dancing. I'm he's, dancing in my seat. I just, I'm, he's busting a move to this generic, unlicensed pride music that we've... Uh, I'm going to release some butterflies from this tank top. Five, yes. four. Tell us what you did for pride. I uh, took... <laughs> I took a bus to Provincetown. <laughs> what? I know. I had to travel to Provincetown um, for my show that was the following, uh, or that week after. Um, I'm a little out of it. Okay, the uh, music's over. Story's done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were just filler there. Died. <laughs> All right. It's time for our guest segment, and our guest today is one of the first people I ever met in comedy, and she remains one of my favorites. She's been seen countless times on TV, including on Comedy Central's Premium Blend, NBC's Last Comic Standing, and VH1's Best Week Ever. For two years, she served as the sidekick to Don Imus on the syndicated Imus in the Morning radio program. Here's a, just a taste of the comedy stylings of Kareth Foster. It's so insane. Only in this society do we get excited, like when we get sick, right? Because we're like, I could lose five to seven pounds. And about three days doing absolutely nothing. I know I am not the only person in here who's that. <laughs> right? If I get the flu on Tuesday, I'll be in my skinny jeans by Friday. And joining us on the phone from 60 miles away, please give a warm-ass welcome to Kareth Foster. Kareth? Uh, if everybody could see me, I'd be turning like Vegas and like turning Burnt Sienna. I'm like, I, I'm humbled by that introduction. Thank you. You deserve <laughs> it, baby. You're one of my favorites. You Aww. know that. I love you so much. I love you too. I wish you were here with us in this blissfully air conditioned studio, but you have some <laughs> business upstate. I, I, I understand. I do. I do. But it's, it's all good. It worked out fine apparently thank you for letting me i know i'm probably like the only person you'd like call in but we work we get, we have such synchronicity that i don't think this is gonna be a problem <laughs> you and i i well we go back a long ways i was trying to remember when and where we actually met i feel mm. like i'm we must have had a show together at caroline's or don't tell mama like or somewhere or, don't tell mama yeah like around 2004 when I started and I saw you, I remember the first time I ever saw you on stage, I just thought you were so hilarious and so different from any comic I'd ever seen before. And I was like, I want to be her friend. Aw, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was probably like a Ron Poole show or maybe yeah. maybe even like, you know, um, down on Christopher Street. I am blanking. It's been such a wild couple of weeks. Um, we're, we're Poppy. We used to run the show. Where, 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 where am I thinking? Duplex. Yeah, duplex. yeah. I never did that. I never did that show. Oh, okay. Sorry. This is my bringing up. <laughs> no, I love Poppy. I just, I just, it was, you know, it was a bring. It was like a open mic. I just was never into open mics. But, but, Kareth, okay. but I used to book you to headline at Therapy Lounge constantly, and you yeah. were like everyone's yeah. favorite headliner. So, uh, 
it's just very special to uh, to talk to you after all these years, especially because we lived together for a year back in we 2010. Were you were my first, like, you're my practice husband. My Your plastic husband? My practice. Oh, practice. <laughs> yeah. My practice husband. How was that? I think you're the first man I ever lived with. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I've never had to shave another man's ass. So, you did do that, didn't you? Oh, I have had so I, many girlfriends so do that. <laughs> You've had girls do shave oh, your ass, so, Chris? Yeah. Well, not my ass, but my back. Carrot, that is a that is a time honored tradition and uh, and service. She's a true friend. I, I also I, am. I feel like I'm one of the few people who saw the real Carrot because Carrot, you know, she's she's from Plano, Texas. She's got this like sweet Southern demeanor, mm-hmm. but when you get her in a car <laughs> and someone cuts her off, like the demons are unleashed. <laughs> It's very New York event. Very yeah. New York. Like your accent disappears. <laughs> you just become like Satan. <laughs> you don't mess with me. I just, that's the one thing I can't handle. And maybe it is that whole safe space kind of like, which I hate that word, but you know, like being in that, that kind of parameter where you feel like, Hey, listen, don't mess with me. You get emboldened. Yeah, you're in a you really know? safe space when you're in a car going 70 miles an hour on the highway <laughs> <laughs> and you're yelling at someone else. That's safe. Well, I felt very safe. You can't do that safe. in Texas. <laughs> yeah, please. You'll get shot in the concealed. face. No, I know, right? You can't honk anymore. You can't honk at anybody anymore. That's so crazy. You can't honk in Texas? Like, well, you is can. it a rule? Well, it's not. It's not polite, but also people could be <laughs> carrying a, a Good gun. Good point, Karen. <laughs> it's not polite to shoot someone. It's not polite to shoot someone in the face while you're driving on the highway. <laughs> well, the biggest change since we lived together is when I knew you, you were a single girl. And mm-hmm. now you are not only married, but you have two children. Wow. I procreated. I became a breeder. And all that's happened in the last eight years. How has that changed you as a as a person and as a comedian? Oh, God, I drink a lot more. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, well my husband and I used to think, <laughs> we used to think that people who drank before four o'clock were alcoholics. <laughs> like, no, they're not. They just have children. Yeah, they're parents. Um, no, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, I still feel like me. That's the crazy part. Like, I don't, feel like I'm like I still feel like I'm you know in my 20s like I I look in the mirror and you know fortunately thank God for melanin um for anybody who's listening I am black I know it doesn't sound like it <laughs> yeah, it's always a shock when you see Kareth after hearing her voice yes, queen. <laughs> <laughs> um but I you know I I feel like me I mean I have I worry a little bit more because I have people now that I'm like concerned about their future and what kind of world we're living in. I got to say the election shook me up pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, more than if I hadn't been a parent, I think. Um, I, you know, but I love it. It's really, you know, I hate to be one of those people that's like, yeah, it's a, the toughest, best job you'll ever have. But it really, and I made some pretty awesome people. Like, Oh, your daughters are so incredibly smart. beautiful. Thank you. And they're not like bratty, whiny ass kids. Like, they're fun, you know, they travel, they are used to being around adults, they go out to dinner, they know how to behave, so... Which is amazing. You know? But that's a testament to you and Craig. I mean, that's being raised Thank right. You. Your daughters you. are yeah. your daughters are biracial? Yes, and my husband's Australian. Your husband's a white Australian. Have you had the conversation with them yet about what it means to be biracial in America, or are they not old enough yet to sort of be... 
to understand The youngest that. one just turned four. You know, the youngest one just turned four. So I don't think, like, they know that mommy's brown and daddy's peach and they're beige now. We did have, you know, one of the older ones was like, I'm white, like daddy. No, no, you're not. <laughs> not in this country. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, it's interesting because, you know, we spent so much time in New York City when they were, the older one was really kind of developing her sense of self. And, you know, in Harlem, all the kids are beige because everybody's mixed with something in New York. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So, but when we got to Texas or we go to California, you know, it, it's very apparent that there are different ethnicities, different people, especially if you're the minority. Um, you know, you don't look like everybody else and it stands out. So, but I also became really conscious of what's on TV and programming. You know, we so all of us get so used to, I mean, and it's changing, fortunately, where we see now mixed race couples and commercials and gay couples. But, you know, for so long growing up, when you look at a Disney movie or you look at anything, it's so whitewashed. Right. Um, or you would have one black character or one black right. family, but everyone else would be white. Right. Right, right. So you're like, you just don't, I mean, wait, as a parent, I'm like, how are my kids, like, who, who do my kids have to look up to? Like, who do my kids have to relate to, you know, in a cartoon or on a show? And I, you know, I try to keep it to PBS and, that, but, you know, they get a strawberry shortcake in here and there and, you know, all those Nickelodeon shows. And, but you really start paying attention as a parent of children of color. It really, it stands out, you know? What's a show that actually is featuring for kids, if not like a brown character, then a then a mixed race character. Are there any? I mean, still the standard is Sesame Street, which is okay. you know you got blue people, you got green people, you know right, the Muppets. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, it's getting better. There are more. There are definitely more car- cartoons that have that one black character. But I also think about like, what about the Indian people or the Asian? Um, you know, Asian like from you know Chinese, Korean. Like, where's where are they represented? Like, what do those kids feel like? I think what we're seeing now, particularly with all the streaming channels, Netflix and Hulu, there's so many shows now that are being created by and for, uh, you know, people from India, people of Indian descent, people of Asian descent, people of, of uh, mixed race. You've got dear white people. You've got. Uh, Aziz mm-hmm. Ansari, mm-hmm. Uh, until he was, you know, accused of sexual assault and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you have all these new voices, and I think that TV executives are are seeing that you can actually be profitable. People are actually interested in watching these stories, even if everyone's not white. Right, right. Which I'm so glad you brought up because you know diversity and inclusion is a big part of the work that I do. Um, yes, even we though I say still that... use humor and comedy, are we going to say that? Or... No, no. I was just going to say that you, on your website, you, you've transitioned uh, into a diversity engagement specialist. So I wanted to ask you, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's somebody who is um, who ha- who has an an awareness and wants to create a consciousness in other people that the world is not just one way, not just one way of being, not just one way of loving, not just one way of thinking. Um, and you know, I, I, I really feel like there was such a need for a new way to talk about diversity and inclusion because it's not just black and white or gay and straight. It's, you know, there are other ethnicities, there are other religions, there are other, you know, ways to see the world that isn't just a, you know, a, a, a complete opposite. Um, there are many multi-levels in between. And plus, 
I found that most of the time, diversity, inclusion, programming, training has been about, okay, you're a minority, so you're in a marginalized group and you're a victim. Oh, you're not? Then you're being vilified or you're being condemned. Well, nobody wants to be part of a conversation if they feel like they're a victim or they feel like they're being villainized. Like, how do you bring people together to have a true conversation about, hey, listen, yes, racism exists, sexism exists, homophobia exists. Those things are real. But we all are part of this conversation. We have to have a voice in it. So how do you tell us about these workshops that you run? Sure. So I, you know, one of the things that I use is my comedy, is my humor. Because as you know, if you can get people to laugh, you can get them to be in a neutral place. They're not on the offense. They're not on the defense. They're in a neutral spot to be able to hear the truth and have the uncomfortable conversations. So a big part of what I do is using my comedy, but then also getting real and getting people to acknowledge and admit that we all stereotype, we all have unconscious bias, and then how do we, after we acknowledge it, get past it? You know, because it's it's a loss for everybody if that's the world that you live in, where you're going to judge somebody automatically based on what they look like, who they sleep with, who they voted for. Like, you're going to miss out. And it could be a relationship opportunity, a business opportunity. Um, and we're much better people for, for being open to having conversations and civil discourse with one another, which seems to, especially after the last election, gotten really lost. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a, a more crucial time to be doing this sort of training and, and running these kind of workshops. We're, we're the most polarized we've ever been. We're no longer speaking to one another. We're just screaming at one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, one of the, the things, the components, I actually say, I want, I want you to care. That's what I say to my audience. I want you to care. And that's an acronym for conscious empathy, which is empathy on steroids, um, active listening. And what's really interesting about, you know, the word listen is, you know, we don't listen to each other anymore. Most people hear one another talk, but they're not listening. They're just waiting for their turn to, you know, share their point of view. Wait, what did um, you just or... say? <laughs> You're <kidding>. funny. <laughs> and if you think about it, the word listen, the same letters that make up that word is silent. You know? Wow, you just blew our minds, Kareth. I'm deep, dude. I'm so <laughs> friggin' deep. Um, <laughs> but after active listening comes responsible reaction, which is big. And I, you know, I tell, because uh, I speak to a lot of college and university students and corporations, but... So I said the responsible reaction part, that's, that's, that takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of maturity because who doesn't want to jump down somebody's throat who says some stupid racist shit or some stupid, you know, stuff about gay people or, you know, who doesn't want to do that? But that's not how you have a constructive conversation. That's not how you change somebody's heart and mind. You have to ask, you know, why would you say that? Where does that come from? Create the dialogue so that you can change the way the conversation is going and maybe like get somebody to have their eyes open. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe I I thought that or, or, or or would say that I didn't realize how impactful or hurtful that was. Kareth, if someone someone listening wants to uh, engage you for their, their organization, their company, um, have you come and and lead one of these workshops? How do they find you? Oh, absolutely easy. I'm it's Kareth, K-A-R-I-T-H. Um, and you can Google me, but Kareth.com is my website. And then- Oh, shit. We lost her, too? No, oh, we no. lost both our phoners today. Can we try to get her back, you guys? 
You know, it's interesting what she was saying though about um about the need for so many different identities. I um I don't know if you've seen that uh the recent LGBTQ big subway ads for Pride, um but I was looking at it and I was like, oh my god, I don't um, I don't see me in this, which I actually think is great. And by me, I mean like a white gay guy, because you know cisgendered man, because there's so many other identities here at work. You know, it's not just. I feel like ten years ago. You know, a gay pride poster was like a white gay guy with a shirt off. Yeah. You know? And it still can be that now. But now there's just all these different. It's not even that there's all these different things now, people now. It's that there's just the acknowledgement that these people exist. Yeah, it's such a different world than it was just a few years ago. And I I find myself even looking back at some of my early stand up material and I'm like, I would never do that joke now. A, because people would find it offensive, and B, because it is offensive. Right. Like, you know, I had a joke about having these Chinese roommates in graduate school. And, like, it's a true story, and they were terrible roommates, but it's basically, like, making fun of the way Chinese people talk. That's That was a big part of the joke and the food that they cooked. And, like, I wouldn't do that joke now, and I, I can't believe there was ever a time when I thought, like, that was an okay joke to tell. And that was in 2003, 2004, so... I just think what what's acceptable has changed so much. Did we get her back? Kara, yeah, can you I'm hear here. us? I apologize. I totally hear you. It's so funny that you're saying that because, you know, one of the things I talk about with, you know, I, I call it the five C's, why people say crazy stuff, right? They are callous or, well, no, the five C's are, they are, they couth or class, they just don't have any. Mm. Uh, they're careless. <laughs> they're clueless. Um, they're curious, right? And they don't know how to ask a question. Or they're callous. You know, some people are just assholes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, I, like, you know, one of the expressions I grew up with, what do you guys call it when you sit down cross-legged on the floor? Indian style. Yeah. Absolutely, right? You know what they call it now? Criss-cross applesauce. Criss-cross applesauce. That's adorable. That's cute. I want to sit like right? that now. My kids learn that in karate. But I didn't know that. And when I go to colleges and universities, that's what they, well, most of them say criss-cross applesauce. I'm like, really? I grew up calling it Indian style. <laughs> Chris is right? gagged. Yeah, I'm, I am. I never use that word, but I am gagged by that. Kareth, we have we have just a few minutes left, and we need to play everybody's favorite game with you. It's called Ask Me No Questions. <laughs> Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. what is the biggest size bra you've ever worn? Oh, God, when I was pregnant and nursing. Probably like a, a 36 or 38, like, Triple F or something. Holy crazy. shit! <laughs> no. Triple F. You could use that it's as a, a parachute. I didn't kill my baby. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that is a parachute. Uh, Kareth, who is more racist, Jews or Italians? Ooh. Oh gosh. <laughs> um. I. You know what? That's a tough call. <laughs> I really. I can't. <laughs> I know my, it shouldn't be. In my experience, <laughs> Italians. What would you say, Chris? <laughs> oh God. Um. Uh, I don't know. Can I? Is there a pass option in this game? No. Talking about butt plugs again. <laughs> JP has never laughed this hard. Uh, for a Schweitzer like me, I don't know. I'm not sure what the. <laughs> yeah. And also, a what do they call Italians? Call you a, a moulignon, right? Isn't that an eggplant? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> That, listen, she said Schwarza. I'm just letting you know what the Italian variation is. But see, I'm Jewish on the inside, so... You are. You're a Jewish-American princess on I the am. inside. Um, Kareth, if you could press a button and have your kids disappear for one week and then return to you safe and sound, how often would you press it? 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Every she's, she's time it was bedtime. <laughs> Every time it was bedtime. That's <laughs> the hard part for you? Them. Oh, God. You know, I mean, I, I, I like them a lot. So I, you know, and I, I travel enough to have a little me time now and then. So I'm kind of good. Yeah, they're easy I'm kids. really kind of good. They really are. Like, I really lucked out. Totally lucked out. Kareth, who's crazier, your mother or my mother? Oh, God, that is... I, I swear to God, our mother are the same people. I really... I'm not... <laughs> Carol and like, Phyllis. such a close... Oh, my God. Between Carol and Ty, my mom, she killed me. My mom is the same person who's like, I went to this... this like, she used to do minority business, like, newspaper stuff. She's like, yeah, it was great. She goes, I went to this party, and Richard Simmons was there. And I go, Richard Simmons? What was he doing at a minority business function? She goes... Oh, I, I met Russell Simmons. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> they're two totally different people. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. That's, I mean, from my perspective, my mom is way crazier, but that's probably because I don't know all of Carol's stories. I only you don't know all of Carol's crazy. You yeah. have not. You and she loves you like to pieces. I love so. her so much. Um, okay, ready? F. Mary Kill. Ooh, okay. Don Imus, Donald Trump, Donny Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, kill Imus. <laughs> yeah. Although he's on his way, whether you do anything hey, well, or not. <laughs> F, <laughs> F Donny Osmond. Yeah. And Mary Trump. You know why? Because I wouldn't have to really live with him. I could have my own floor in the penthouse and never have to see him except for public appearances. Just like Melania, honey. That is, exactly. That is the right answer. Um, exactly. Hashtag be best. Yes. I uh, love the, the Donnie theme, though. I love the Don theme. That was just clever. Thank you. I am clever. Uh, Kareth, <laughs> my co-host today, Chris Harder, used to be a gay porn star. Give us your best audition for a gay porno flick. Oh, my best Like noises? Yeah, like a dialogue oh. and noises. Who are you? Where are you coming oh. from? Was it raining? Oh, sure, sure. So, like, but I would still be a girl. Right? No, you have to sound or like a gay not? guy. Oh, Okay. Hey, bitches. <laughs> who wants some heat up in this place? Because guess who's packing a hot magnum? <laughs> wow, you've given me such a boner. That is your next career is as a gay phone sex operator. <laughs> wow. Why did you make your voice higher than natural instead of lower? I, <laughs> I don't, I, hey, bitches. Hey, bitches. <laughs> hey, bitches. <laughs> Maybe I was channeling my buck angel. I don't know. I was channeling my buck angel. Uh, Listen, he's more masked than anyone in this studio right now. Absolutely. Okay, Kareth, serious question. Yes. Have you ever ever sharded? Um, No, but you know what? Here's the thing. And I would totally admit that if I have. But now that I've had kids... If I can get through a day without laughing, sneezing, or coughing too hard and not peeing on myself, it's a good day. <laughs> peeing is better than sharding. Kareth Foster, I love you. I'm sorry that you couldn't be with us in the studio today, but uh, it's always wonderful to talk to you. And let's hang out when you're actually in the city. I know. Can we do we that? Will, I swear. I adore you. And I, you know, I got, I think, when, of course, when I'm plugging myself, I got cut off. That's what the phone drops. But Karis.com or FosterRussell.org. And how do people is follow people you? Can find me on Twitter. Um, you can, on Twitter, Karis Foster. There are like, there's no. I've never met another. No one has Karis. your name. I know they exist. They exist, but I've never met one in person. 
who's has it spelled the same way I do, ever. Well, or even met another Kara, period. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, uh, Ryan Frostig, our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent. Chris Harder, you'll be back next week with us for next one more week, episode. People. You guys remember, next week is the last ever Sunday episode of The Ass. Our guest will be Brian Ballone, a.k.a. Mr. GNI Leather, who will tell us all about gay naturism. Subscribe to Derek and Romaine at DerekandRomaine.com. Don't forget to follow me, me, on Twitter and Instagram at AdamSank. Email me at Adam at AdamSank.com. Have a great week, bitches, and happy 4th of July! Whee! Yeah! Whee!